That literally saved me 25 minutes. I couldn't do that in five minutes. But did you see it? I just want to make you, you saw the big movements, the promise in the garden to rebellious humans, then the promise when that project failed with Abraham, and then Abraham's great-grandson, Judah, and then Judah, David, David, all of his sons are wicked. Old Testament ends. Where's the snake-crushing king? The Messiah, their hope-for king. You can turn the lights up a little bit so people can see. So that, in essence, in my humble opinion, does a brilliant job describing the, what the genealogy is all about. Do you see there in Matthew 1, you see all those names. Don't make me read them. <laughs> Their names are important, I promise. But in and through those names, you see the topsy-turvy, windy, up and down mountains and mostly valleys of the story of God's faithfulness weaving through and working amongst and alongside of human rebellion and sin but how many know that where sin increased, grace always increases all the more? And so when Matthew begins his gospel with this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, what the video was all about, that was a video on Messiahship. This king who would rule and conquer and bring God's kingdom. He was going to do it in and through this son who was of the seed of Abraham and the seed of David. If you're with me, say amen. amen. So, therefore, I gotta go start all over again, sorry. There's all the messianic hopes, I'm gonna skip them all because the video was brilliant. Here's the Cliff Notes version. Abraham, you can screenshot it, or I'll put it online so you can get it later. Grandson, great-grandson Judah, King David, the divided kingdom, remember after Solomon's sons and the rebellion in Israel and Judah, Israel to the north, Judah, south, etc. Then you see they have a Syrian exile, etc. That is the story of the Old Testament, right there in a snapshot. And Jesus finds himself not as an appendage to the story of Israel, but as the crescendo of the story of Israel. He did not come just poof. Here I am, surprise, I came to save the day. He came in this pregnant time of longing and aching and hoping and longing amongst the people of Israel. When will this snake-crushing king come? And the gospel writers tell us he's the person of Jesus, son of Abraham, the son of David. What's awesome is if you find it in verse 16 and 17, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, verse 16, 14 from David to exile, 14 from exile to the Messiah. In the Bible, seven is always indicative of perfection. Say perfection. And so, so in other words, what I believe Matthew is doing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus came at just the right time. Someone say, just the right time. Now, theologians have argued, why was it the right time? No one knows 100%, shake your head at me, but there's some pretty stinking good indicators, if you ask me, like Roman roads. How many know roads didn't just poof out of nowhere, but because of the infrastructure of the empire of Rome, there were roads that were accessible to almost the entire known world. Roads mean what? The transfer of a message. Maybe that's why. 
Maybe it's the widespread under Alexander the Great and then continued through Rome of Hellenization and Greek language and culture and therefore because of this widespread sort of conglomeration of um, strong armed forcing a culture upon the known world that the gospel, it'd be easier to transfer the gospel in a, in a culture like this. We don't know. Or obviously the widespread rule of the Romans and I love this, some think this, I think this or because of the language that Rome used in its political jargon and agenda. How many know that gospel was not an invented word for Christians, it was what the empire and those that the empire and the emperor were represented by would go announce in every new conquered territory proclaiming the gospel of whoever was reigning in Rome on the throne. And so there's this unbelievable adoption of Roman agenda rules that Christians like Paul and the gospel writers took and said, no, 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 Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. No, 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 Caesar is not the image of God, Jesus is the true image of God. And so it's this time in history when these unbelievable phrases that we as believers ascribe to Jesus but were being applied to Caesar and to Rome and its agenda. And obviously there were incredible hopes among Israel at this time that were spilling up to an all-time high. So we don't know, but we know Matthew tells us there was 14, 14, 14. It's to point us to the reality that Jesus came at just the right time. So we got to skip the genealogy because the video was sufficient and you can go to join the Bible and watch it 50 times and you'll be an expert on messianic everything. Hallelujah. But I want us to zero in on Joseph. Now, Mary gets most of the airtime around Christmas, and I think that's amazing. Everyone said amen. But what I have been studying and reflecting on Joseph has just made my spiritual jaw drop this week. And I think there's some implications for our life today. So open your Bibles. I have the passage, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the, what? Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream and said, Joseph, son of, thank you, that's important. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's super important. We'll get there. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. It's in Isaiah 7:14. if you're taking notes. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, whoa, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage or have sexual relationship with his betrothed wife until after she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. There's so much we want to unpack here, so let's dive right in. I'm going to go line upon line now on the verses. So buckle up, grab your pens or your papers or your smartphones, 
And we're going to unpack and let the Holy Spirit teach us something dynamic, I believe, out of this passage. Starting with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, and she became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So the question is, why was the virgin birth, why did Jesus, the seed of Abraham and David, have to come about by the Holy Spirit? Theology check 101. When Adam sinned, what happened in his and Eve's children and in themselves when they sinned? Sin, not just committed actions, was introduced to the world, but sin as original bent and proclivity and nature was introduced to the world. Say amen. We call this Adamic sin or we call it original sin. So the reason the Holy Spirit and the virgin, con- the, the spirit conceiving life in the virgin's womb is paramount to what it means to believe the truths of Christianity is that if Jesus is born of the seed of man, he will partake of the sin nature of man, but there was no sin in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So therefore, and if you want to know what the sinful nature or Adam's sin or original sins look like, you can just go volunteer in the nursery. (laughs) You will see me, my, and no on full blast and with no editing. And we see in the very first seed of Adam and Eve, the brothers, instead of loving, forgiving, they're jealous, they're envious, and ultimately they murder. And on and on human history goes. Genesis 6 tells us this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every, someone say every, inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Dun, dun, dun. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Say that with me. Beyond cure. Who can understand it? The seed or the nature of humanity that's conceived by the seed of man is from the womb to the tomb apart from godly and divine intervention bent on evil and only evil all the time. So the Holy Spirit, so if the Son is going to fulfill this great messianic vocation to bring God's age of blessing and kingdom, he cannot be born by the same conventional means. Are you tracking with me or is this too theological? Jesus himself said this, it's out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Jesus located as he was doing his ministry that, it's right there, just read the Bible. Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, and on and on. All these evils come where? From inside and defile a person. Why is this verse 18 of Matthew 1 so important? It's profoundly important because Jesus, look at this. The virginal conception of Jesus indicates that membership of the family of God or becoming a brother or sister of Jesus is no longer based on physical descent. And we all said amen from a common ancestor. It will only depend on one's obedience to God's will. That's Matthew 12, uh, 48 through 50. So the virgin birth, not only does it bring the reality of the Messiah, uh, where he is born of humanity, but he's not conceived of the, the seed of man, as he's able to offer us this unbelievable offer of God's salvation through one who, unlike all of his ancestors in that big old giant genealogy list, never committed sin against God's will. 
or God's ways. Back to Matthew chapter 1. There's the passage. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So first of all, you find out that your betrothed wife is pregnant. How many would have a little bit of a problem with that? I don't see any hands, but most of us would probably have a problem with that. In fact, in Deuteronomy 30, uh, 22, you can read this really lengthy paragraph about what under the law you were in bounds to do to a promiscuous woman that you were betrothed to be married to. It's not all that great. But because Joseph is a righteous man, even though he could have exposed her to the law, he could have exposed her to great punishment, because he's a righteous man and he found out his wife is pregnant, not by him, by the Spirit, he was just going to put her away quietly. How many know we're starting to get a little bit of a picture of what kind of man Joseph is like? He's a righteous and upright man. And in Joseph's culture, just like ours, getting pregnant out of wedlock was a huge deal, even more so in the time of Joseph. Now, betrothal or being engaged or pledged to be married like Joseph was to marry in first century times was way more intense than our day and age. It was viewed as the first step or stage of marriage. In fact, if you called off an engagement, you would actually have to get a divorce. Are we getting the, the idea here that it's much more intense during the time of Jesus and certainly the time of Joseph? Joseph had a, had a business to run. Remember, he's a carpenter, Scripture tells us in Matthew 13. He had a life to live, and a woman that is pregnant, betrothed to him who's pregnant, not by him, Man, that could jack up your business. It could jack up your reputation. Are you tracking with me? This is a big deal. No wonder he wants to put her away quietly. She could ruin his life. They'll be that couple that the, the village. Oh, that's dangerous. He couldn't wait till their wedding. Suffice it to say, Joseph has every right to follow normal cultural protocol. And so God sends an angel. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Amen. How many know God knows how to intervene to accomplish his purposes? Because there's this little old thing that we're about to unpack that apart from Joseph's involvement, Jesus does not fulfill the ancient promises of one who comes from the line of Abraham and David. You'll believe me in a minute. Let's keep going. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Look at that. Don't be afraid of what they'll say. Don't be afraid of what this could mean for your business. Don't be afraid of what it could mean for your village. And don't be afraid for what it could mean to your reputation because she's not been sleeping around. What is growing in her womb is under the, con the conception of the Holy Spirit himself. She is going to bear a child, it will go on to say, who is going to not just be good news for you and your little family, but for the world. This is bigger than you, dude. This is bigger than you. But what's unbelievable about the story of salvation is that God has always involved and worked with the fumbling, mumbling, and bubbling of humanity. And we all said amen. Again, go back to the genealogy, and you can see some of the, the handoffs did not get put into the running back's arms. But God is faithful. Someone say, God is faithful. He works in and through our mess. Why even involve Joseph at all? 
doesn't God just need a virgin and a womb and he can conceive life? Well, what line does Joseph come from? Back to verse 16 and 17. It's Joseph who's listed in the long genealogy coming from the son of Abraham, the son of David. If Jesus is conceived of the Holy Spirit, who does he draw his daddy lineage from? Come on, this is big time news here, folks. Through Joseph. But is Joseph Jesus' legitimate daddy? Not in the biological sense. Do you see the importance of Joseph in this story? It's going to get better, more amazing. Without Joseph, Jesus does not have biological claims to the promise of King David. And the promise made to King David in 2 Samuel 7 is that I will raise up an offspring singular to succeed you. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So how does Jesus conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, get hooked into the line of David? Glad you asked that amazing question. Through the righteous obedience of Joseph. He's not the biological father of Jesus. But this section reveals something amazing that Joseph does. The scripture goes on. She will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. That's daddy's job, to name the boy. Because he will save the people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they'll call him Emmanuel. This section reveals how Jesus was not the biological son of Joseph because of the Holy Spirit conception, but because of Joseph's actions, Jesus becomes the legal son of Joseph. Therefore, the recipient and fulfiller of the genealogy required for the Davidic throne, the eternal throne. Do you see this? This man who had a big old pill to swallow called virgin conception. Holy Spirit conception. This woman who could ruin his entire life and the reputation so he wants to put her away quietly. Let's just get rid of this problem. The angel says, dude, this is a bigger deal than whether or not someone hires you to build their table. (laughs) Come on, how many know some of us make choices out of fear because we forget the big story that God's writing through our life? This is bigger, Joseph, than you. But guess what, Joseph, like my big old genealogy I just wrote in the first 17 verses, I always include humanity in and for my plans. I'm a good God, Joseph. You could put her away, but I'm telling you, don't even think about being afraid because what is coming forth through this child is gonna change the world. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And you and I are here because of it. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not, he looked, he honored, he showed restraint, this righteousness all over this man. He didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And at the naming of the, na- of the boy Jesus, Joseph steps in and says, this boy, I'm claiming him as my own. This is so, dy- this is, culturally this is explosive, this is dynamic. It is the acknowledgement of a child by a father that officially makes the child his son. This is according to first century tradition, ancient tradition. Therefore, when when Joseph said his name is Jesus, 
he is grafted into this big old narrative called salvation's story. And when he recognizes him as son, Jesus now has claim to the Davidic throne to fulfill this great promise. How does a son of God who doesn't have an earthly father find his way into the genealogy required to fulfill all of the ancient promises, which we've already studied the last several weeks. Matthew's obsessed with this idea of fulfillment and completion. That Jesus doesn't take scripture in a direction it's not pointing. He carries it forward to a place that it could never go apart from him. The first man to accept Jesus as the son of God was Joseph. What did he, what, look at this, what did Joseph accepting Jesus mean? Probably, probably. The shame of pregnancy before wedlock. The reproach of family, friends, neighbors, and culture. The ostracizing and the accusations of foul play or promiscuity. Are you tracking with me? The scandal of sin and the stigma of actually getting caught. How many know many participate in sin, but they think they got a clear... How many know your sin always finds you out? What did it mean for Joseph to agree with the dream of the angel and to not give in to fear or to look at all that this might cost him for claiming Jesus as his rightful son? What would it mean? It might mean any or all of this or a combination thereof, but because Jesus, Joseph accepts Jesus as his legitimate son, then Jesus has now accepted us as his legitimate sons and daughters through his saving grace. But here in this little Christmas story, maybe you've never thought of it. I know I haven't in these terms as I've studied all week. Joseph's willingness to embrace the shame of his situation, the scandal in the name of obedience to God, crescendos in the naming of his adopted son, Jesus, the name that alone can save us from all of our sin and from our shame. Is this good preaching? It's the Bible. Read this with me. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among humanity or mortals by which we must be saved. So he takes the boy. He doesn't divorce Mary. And here we are, celebrating Advent, the inbreaking of this messianic king who because of a righteous man's deeds, not giving into fear, but accepting the lot that was given to him, the part he was predestined to play in the unfolding of God's saving plan, you and I can be saved through the man that Joseph gave his name, or agreed rather with the angel's declaration. His name will be called Jesus because he's gonna save his people from their sins. Amen. Wow. Come on, somebody. So, walking points. How are we going to walk this thing out? Great story, cool. You read, you did some study, and thanks, Pastor. What does this mean for us? Well, first of all, because if you look at all of chapter one, because Jesus is 
both the seed of Abraham, the one through whom all of the world will be blessed, and he's of now the seed of David, the king, the triumphant, powerful king. What The reality is, whatever battle you're facing, or whatever situation you need res- rescuing from or obstacles in your path, Jesus is the sufficient rescuer, deliverer, mighty conquering king for you today. It doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what is around you, over you, or going on inside of you. Because of Jesus, there is victory because he is that king from the line of David. Jesus is the Messiah. I already said it. He's the conquering, victorious one. He's got all authority in heaven and on earth. That's how Matthew ends his gospel. And he's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do you need power? Do you need wisdom? It's yours through Jesus, the Messiah. So how are you going to practice it this week? What's the embodied practice? What's the thing that, this isn't just a theory, but you can live in light of it this week. The embodied practice is this little thing called prayer. What do you do when you're surrounded by armies you can't beat on your own? When you got the phone call, when you don't have, you got zero in the bank account, when that relationship has gone south, you don't try to fix it on your own. You cry out to God, help. I'm afraid I can't, but you can. You're the conquering king from David's throne, Abraham's seed. I don't know how to get to the blessing, but I know it's got to be central to who you are, Jesus. And so we pray. What's, when should we pray? When you're just in this place? No, all the time, all day, throughout the day. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. And you and I, because of the conquering, victorious Son of God, have access to the throne of God from which we receive grace and mercy in our time of need, which, which is all the time, if we're honest. Okay, you don't think that's good enough. Are, your, are there sins in your life that keep you bound in shame and in cycles of defeat? Well, Jesus isn't just the king. His name means save or Yahweh saves Did you know Jesus is not just the one who can triumph over your adversity. He's also the only provision for your sin. His name will be Jesus. And unlike the hopes and dreams of Israel, this conquering king, he was going to smash the enemies like the video showed. He was going to let the enemy have his best bite. Remember the heel, the snake? But in so doing, he would drain death of all of its power and crush its head. You got sin. Jesus is a sufficient savior. What's the embodied practice? How are you gonna walk this thing out? You're gonna, you're gonna practice confession. Did you know God's word says that Jesus is the mediator between all of humanity and God? You can go straight to Jesus when or if you sin, or if there's bondage, you can say, Jesus, I repent, I confess. But you wanna know how to really find breakthrough that sticks? Someone say sticks is when you don't just confess to God, but you bring someone else along in your journey. Come on, you know what that does? It's called this little thing called accountability. How many need accountability to experience transfer? We all need someone to cheer us on. And so yes, practice the the, the discipline of confession, but I would argue you really wanna have victory that sticks, confess that sin to a brother or sister that you love and trust, and then walk that victorious life in Christ out together. Is this thing working? We need each other. We need each other. So practice the art or the discipline of confession. 
Don't spend more time of your confession dwelling on your sin than on the goodness and provision of God's forgiveness. It doesn't earn you any merit points to just self-wallow and guilt and I'm a terrible, filthy. Confess the sin and then rejoice in the forgiveness. That does not mean we take sin lightly. Sin is death all the time and only. But it does no favor to yourself and it doesn't exalt God anymore when you spend more time thinking of the mess you've made than the provision of his grace that he's provided through his sufficient sacrifice. So confess, bring someone in the journey with you and then begin to walk on the path of righteousness that Christ has made. So confession naturally leads to celebration. This is good. We're almost done. Let's go a little deeper. These things apply to sort of you personally. Pray, confess. I mean, yeah, they involve all of us in corporate. But this story has social implications. Who in your life is like a potential Mary? Not that they have a child conceived of the Holy Spirit or you'll get, you'll, people will look at you weird. Go deeper with me. Come on. Who are those in your life that are at risk of being put out and to left thin for themselves? Which is what Mary's lot would have been in her culture. The story is more than just about you and I's personal private salvation, personal private sin. This story is wrapped up with radical social implications if we'll receive them. Who are those on the fringes? Like some think Mary was in her... 12 to teenage years, who are those that are maybe ostracized or on the fringes of culture, the marginalized that need to be claimed as your family? This is what the story drives us to. Who can you be a Joseph to, a friend to go and embrace, to call back or to stand with someone who's made a mess of their life? Clearly, Mary didn't make a mess of her life. She was, it was the Holy Spirit's fault, Okay. But the implication stands true today. Who are those that were meant to say, you know what? It may cost me a little bit of my reputation, but I will claim them as a part of my family. They may have have made a huge mess of their life, but they're, they're mine. And so I'll stand with them in the name of no one stands alone. We see that Joseph did that, don't we? Don't be afraid, dude. Take her as your wife. Who are those in this city, in our church, that unless they're brought into family, will feel like they're perpetually an outsider? That's what this story is telling us, guys. Who are those on the verge of being shamed, cast out, or ostracized because of their sin or situation in your own family as we think about Christmas time, your own workplace, or in our city? The good news today is because of Joseph's willingness to accept Jesus as his adopted son, you and I can be accepted by the Father through Jesus, the Son of God. Read this verse with me. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, come on somebody, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
right here in this story, Joseph serves as a prototype of all of those who would follow after Jesus who'd be grafted into the family line through faith in the Son of God. I'm gonna ask Leah to come up. I'm gonna leave these questions up here for you to ponder.